Testing one, two, testing one, two. Testing three, four, testing three, four. You are three quiet, five me. Uh-oh. Keep going. I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm reading a Wired article about Indigent, the film company. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, well. Am I okay? Yeah, yeah. Are you okay? Yeah, I feel all right. Yeah? Yeah, we're recording. Okay. Looney Tunes back in action. Mm-hmm. Well, hi, everyone. We're uh, back. It's Harper. It's Jonathan. And this is Hawkeyes. Authentic knowledge and feelings. I feel it. I feel it. I know where you're going with this. You want a little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, whoa. But I'm really not funny. No, no, no. And we no, no. should have a podcast. What? <laughs> okay. And today, uh-huh. we are talking about the film Chelsea Walls. That's right. Chelsea Walls is Ethan Hawke's directorial debut. So it's kind of a big one. Yeah, it's an important film for understanding our boy. Yeah. Um, we... Just a little bit about our viewing experience of this movie. We tried to watch it... Uh oh wow. I wrote down the date that we watched it. It was well over a week ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was so long ago. Um so we did that but then we were in bed watching this movie and fell asleep both of us. I think that's fair to say. Sure. I uh, sure. You you're about to say you didn't fall asleep? I don't know. Anyway, so then last night. Oh, and so then that we watched that on um, like Tubi or Voodoo, one of those free things. Uh-huh. And then since we were going to have to watch it again anyway, since we both fell asleep, both <laughs> of us. Allegedly. Uh, all right. How how the turntables now that we're on the air, you can't cop up to it. <laughs> what? When did I ever say that? Anyway, so because we were going to have to rewatch it anyway, I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to get the DVD because I had seen, um, I was actually at a rental store, a DVD rental store mm-hmm. establishment. Um, and I was like, oh, they have Chelsea Walls here. And I looked at the back and it said it had commentary. And I wasn't really prepared to get a membership at this video store. Um, but I was like, okay, I guess I'll just buy this DVD. So I went and I bought the DVD of Chelsea Walls because it had the Ethan Hawke commentary. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, that would add something pretty interesting to our conversation surrounding this movie. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Cool. Yeah, I'm glad I did it. Um, it was interesting. 
so yeah so then we watched it again last night on uh-huh. dvd and i did doze off a little bit but i yes you sure did contest that it was i was did wake up for parts that i hadn't seen the first time yeah so i have an almost complete viewing experience of this movie Mm-hmm. uh yeah it's fine that you don't believe me think what it's you fu- want i have you don't believe me i have notes so oh are they almost illegible at the end a hundred percent okay james comey <laughs> sorry i don't know why i would that's such a like weird joke to make yeah because it's been like a minute since we've heard from the old jc yeah is he instagramming still i don't know i haven't seen anything because i do follow him Mhm. But you know, sometimes those posts get buried. That's true. Yeah. Because of the algorithms and whatnot. Yeah, because of Trump. Mhm. Yeah, Trump is keeping our Comey posts down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it feels. Yeah, we do this every time that we don't have a guest, but it just feels weird to hop right into it. But I guess that's what we'll do. Well, no, we can we can chat. We can chat. What'd you do today? Ugh, what didn't I do today? <laughs> um, no, we went to Ikea. Yeah. It was... It was, it was a long-ass day. Yes, because some items were purchased yes. that were not going to fit into the vehicle in yes. which we had arrived. So I proposed the idea of getting a U-Haul, which worked, but um, I did not realize... At the time that the U-Haul has to be returned to the same U-Haul location. Yeah, that was a bummer. Which affects things. Mm-hmm. It made, definitely made it a less convenient option. Yeah. Yeah. Than it would otherwise have been. Um, but yeah. And then we drove. So we drove the car that we were in back. And then back again. When it would have really made more sense to just stay in Burbank. And take the U-Haul there and back to save trips. You know, there's just a, a number of things that could have been thought out slightly differently. Yeah, a lot happened. But that's okay, because we made it. We got the stuff there and back. We did it all. And then we that's had BJ's important. for dinner. Yeah, we got a pizookie. Yeah. Which is exciting. I had my it first pizookie. It seemed like that pizookie maybe didn't agree with you. Are you fine? <laughs> <laughs> Are you all right? Yes, I'm okay. I'm all okay. right. <laughs> I mean, it was, it, was, it was a hell of a lot of pizookie. I'll yeah, say. we got the three the three mini pizuki sample. Yeah, yeah. My favorite was the classic chocolate chip. In case anyone was wondering. Yeah, it was really good. Mine too. Yeah. My favorite also. That was your favorite as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I oh, uh, sometimes I like to feel. Oh, okay. Sorry. Goodbye. Oh, hi! I'm back from blowing my nose. Not that it sounds like it, but here I am. Yeah. You're right over there? Yeah, I don't know what happened. My nose just started running all of a sudden. It's okay. I appreciate that you sniffled into the mic. Yeah, just for you. That's what you get for all those times you chewed ice into the mic or tortilla chips. Yeah, that's because I can't control myself. Yeah. So you were saying something? You like to do something? Oh, I just like to have my decisions validated. So I appreciate that you like the chocolate chip. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so today. 
Yeah. We are talking about the movie Chelsea Walls. Yeah. So I think that some it's really interesting to see this movie and to also consider Blaze, mm-hmm. which we saw last year. Yeah. And just like look at the progress that both Ethan Hawke has made as a director, I would say. Yeah. And also that like digital filmmaking has made. Well, it's Blaze Digital. Yeah. Most most things are, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because right. r- filming on film is like so expensive. expensive and right. Yeah. What about QT movies? Uh, Still film? Probably. Yeah. If, I feel like if you're like, I don't know, if you have that level of, you know, I don't know. Yeah, if you're Quentin Tarantino. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, like a lot of things now that have like a 35 millimeter like release in theaters or whatever, or 70 uh-huh. millimeter release in theaters are like shot on digital and then converted to film. Oh, interesting. I believe. Hmm. And that actually, yeah, because that's what I was reading some reviews of Chelsea Walls. Mm-hmm. And they were commenting on the way that the colors got washed out in this movie on the 35 millimeter transfer. Uh-huh. So that's a thing. Interesting. Yeah. There's a Wikipedia article. About Chelsea Walls? No, about... Uh, oh, digital. No. This list of movies shot digitally. Yeah. I wanted to read about movies shot on film. Come on, guys. Oh, they tell you the lens type and the camera type. Birdman was shot on an Ari Alexa M and an Ari Alexa XT uh, using Leica, Summilux C, and Zeiss Master Prime. Hmm. Those sound like um, uh, Transformers names. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Except I've heard of, I know what Leica is. I've heard of that. Yeah. It's an Italian camera. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is going really well so far. <laughs> you know who could have used Leicas? Who? Anyone staying at the Chelsea Hotel. Oh, that's so right. Because the Chelsea Hotel is the place for artists. Or the Hotel Chelsea, as it's officially known. Hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's commonly referred to as the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah, obviously, but like, I think technically it's called the Hotel Chelsea because if you look at the like, the text of the, like the signage, uh-huh. it says Hotel on top and then Chelsea under. Hmm. It's like Hotel Chelsea. But yeah, you can call it Chelsea Hotel. Oh, there was a movie called Hotel Chelsea. Shocking. It was a Japanese movie? No? Um, yeah, I guess it was. But it was shot at the Chelsea Hotel. Huh. A newlywed Japanese couple traveled to the Hotel Chelsea in New York to enjoy their honeymoon. Wow. 
it's about a crime that takes place at the hotel. How much do you think it is to stay there? I don't know. Is it still there? Yeah. Yeah, it is, right? Yeah, because you can see pictures. Chelsea Hotel. So this movie was made... um, was uh financed by the same production company as tape mm-hmm. um and that's called indigent um right. yeah and so their whole thing was that they were giving uh filmmakers a hundred thousand dollars each to make a film on digital mm-hmm. uh to try to make that happen yeah and so i guess lionsgate bought a bunch of them uh five yeah lionsgate bought five films five of the indigent films from 2001 including tape and chelsea wells Uh uh-huh interesting yeah apparently chelsea hotel um i don't think it's it's uh it's still there but i don't think it's open to guests anymore i don't think you can stay there Mm. yeah Um, how much do you know about the Chelsea Hotel? Uh, said Nancy. Yeah. Uh, is there a, um, Leonard Cohen song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I re- I remembered that I did a project about the Chelsea Hotel mm. in college. Mm-hmm. Like a beat literature class, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it was for that class. And I like focused, I don't know if I had to, but I focused on the Chelsea Hotel. And then I talked about um, Allen Ginsberg and Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen. And I think that Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan might have been there at the same time. Hmm. Um, and I had to like, apparently, I think I had to write a poem yeah i remember that you remember this yeah you remember me writing a poem yeah because i pulled it up and i was like reading this poem i was like oh this is weird are you gonna read the poem to us (sighs) i'll do the first first couple of stanzas yeah yeah. uh it rhymes (laughs) (laughs) it's like two sections oh gosh uh there were three Jews in the Chelsea lobby, sometimes two. I don't remember if Bob was anymore and he kept passing through. Leonard was humming something about talking brave and sweet. Alan kept talking about the madman bum and angel beat. Hal was crumpled in one pocket and tissue in the other. Stale coffee and booze followed one another. Leonard and Alan argued about which tasted worse. Dylan finally sat down and wrote a verse. Nice. Yeah. I just, I like pulled this up. I was like, what is this? <laughs> I like completely forgotten that I had to do this little assignment thing. Yeah, it definitely sounds familiar. Yeah. It's kind of long too. Eh, whatever. And I had to write an essay as well. About. Yeah. But yeah, so there's a song that the, the three of them had done together. Mm-hmm. Um. It's called Don't Go Home With Your Heart On, which is kind of a ridiculous song because mm-hmm. it's exactly what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. Chelsea Hotel. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, Allen Ginsberg, Bob Dylan, and Leonard Cohen were probably mingling with some of these uh, characters. These characters. Well, so okay, so in the movie, it sort of follows a few different characters that you never they rarely interact with each other and they're sort of in their own rooms and they're doing their own things Mm -hmm. and it's never established but as we learned from the commentary Mm -hmm. the idea was sort of that they're supposed to be in different eras different decades yeah and so the way that they dress a little bit and the way that they um talk and all that stuff like but but it's not explicit it's never explicitly stated that that's what's going on yeah it definitely made more sense when he said that in the commentary which i don't think is great for a movie that you need it to be explained to you that uh it's like you know the lake house basically but the chelsea hotel Uh (laughs) uh-huh did you say the lighthouse the lake the lake house yeah very different you know in the lake house they're living in different times in the same building oh spooky oh gee okay spoiler alert yeah spoiler alert. if you haven't seen this movie from over 15 years ago okay good to know yeah so yeah but yeah so that did kind of clear some things up when i we watched it with the commentary yeah i wouldn't have known that i don't think and it's um it's like a, it's just getting his pals together. He's got Uma, yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio, Robert Sean Robert Leonard, Leonard, Steve Zahn, Steve Zahn, um, Richard Linklater's in one scene. Yes, very briefly. Uh, and Wilco, yeah, Jeff, Jeff Tweedy, Tweedy writes. He's, there's a, a small shot of him, but he writes the music for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Rosario Dawson is in it. Yeah, also Natasha Richardson and Chris Christopherson and Tuesday Weld are in it. Yeah. It's a really stacked cast. It sure is. And Richard um and Ethan Hawke has a uh um a non visual cameo. He phoned it in, as he said, and mm. during the uh yeah you were asleep. During I was the- <laughs> not. When he was on the phone with Uma. Yeah. yeah. No, no, in the commentary. What? I mean, you fell asleep during the commentary because he, he was talking about how he phoned it in. No, Do you remember that? I watched that. Oh, you watched that? Okay. I thought you were asleep. See, I was just really comfortable. I wasn't asleep as much <laughs> as you thought I was. <laughs> if you say so. You're so rude. What? I can't even. How am I rude? <sighs> anyway, the movie opens and Natasha Richardson and Chris Christopherson are like making out. And it's... A lot because I love the parent trap with Natasha Richardson and that's just not how I like to see her, but it's fine. Yeah. She's her own woman. Yeah. She's her own woman. She can do whatever she wants. Then there are some cops that come that are coming through, not where Chris Christopherson and Natasha Richardson are, but in the, in the building and, um, they're keeping, Uma Thurman from getting into her apartment and then Vincent D'Onofrio does some some fast talking and get, sneaks her in. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those cops is Matthew Del Negro, who's an actor I really like from television. Mm. Uh, he uh, was on 
Teen Wolf and Scandal and The West Wing and Rizzoli and Isles, which are four shows that I watched. Mm -hmm. So that was fun to see him. And he was very young, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't really familiar with him, but my first note Mm -hmm. when this movie started was, oh, boy. Yeah, my second note is early digital looks so gross. Yeah, my third note was soap opera looking ass movie. Yeah, the, especially that scene with Chris Christopherson and Natasha Richardson. Yeah. Like, the, just the way that it's shot and the I think like this, the color and saturation of that, yeah. that part. So, like, each part of the movie has a different color filter on it. And whatever color he was using for that, uh, for that portion, yeah, just was so made it look especially grainy yeah. and especially soap opera. Yeah, yeah. Um, I felt like Uma was wearing a crazy wig. I don't know if you felt that way. Oh, I I wrote down brunette Uma, but I I didn't know if it was. It looked like a wig to me on mm-hmm. my first. It was like a really short brown hair, kooky artist wig, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't really sure. And there's also this character who we learn is played by this guy, uh, Little Jimmy something. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, hold up. He's like a jazz singer. And he performs this... Jimmy Scott. That was his name, Little Jimmy Scott? Yeah. Um, he performs this cover, like, partway through the movie. Uh, I guess that's halfway, so I should jump ahead a little bit. But Yeah. That's but fine. But worth noting, this movie is um, non-linear. Yeah. I mean, it's, also it's, it's non-narrative. It doesn't have a plot. Yeah. And the commentary... Ethan Hawke says it's a movie that has no narrative whatsoever. And I was like, those are my thoughts exactly. <sighs> yeah. Because it just, I, if I could jump ahead to just my feelings about this movie, I just always wanted it to be going somewhere and it was never going anywhere. Yeah. I it think was just like a slice of life kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's what, yeah. I think that point was that he was going for the slice of life kind of thing. But the thing is, is that I don't think he gave us enough reason to really care about the characters. Yeah. I agree. Problem. Like I, I just wasn't that, I was like, I I don't know. Like I just didn't find them all that interesting what they were doing and talking about and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I, I I didn't, I didn't think it, it worked especially well in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And he seemed kind of defensive of. I mean, it makes sense. He seemed pretty defensive of the movie during the commentary. He seemed to, he seemed a little testy during the uh, yeah the director's commentary. He was a little testy toward like critics. Yeah, he had clearly read a lot of bad reviews. Yeah, yeah. He was a little bit like snide about it. He's like, oh, like I guess this is why they call me pretentious. Yeah, he said at one point, um, if people don't like this movie, it's because they're not nice and they have problems and they need therapy. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. But yeah, and then he was also a little bit like kind of testy toward like Uma. Did you notice that? Yeah. He was like kind of like saying like, oh, well, she wanted it this way. So I had to do it. or whatever. Yeah. Like she wanted to wear a green sweater and he was like so mad at her. But, you know, she's my wife. Yeah. And I was just like, it's uh, a lot of weird. Yeah. It was she's that, my that, wife kind of. 
Yeah, the commentary there was kind of weird. A lot yeah. of the commentary about her was like, oh, okay. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, I know we're, we're obviously not interested in getting into, like, their personal relationship. But, like, you know, it, he brought it up in the commentary. Yeah. Like, the way he talked about her in the commentary was a little bit like, wow, okay, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, yeah, there was... A, so, there's a scene with Uma and Vincent D'Onofrio where they're in the kitchen together. Mm-hmm. And he was just talking about how he he was happy to have paired up the two of them because he thought that... Uh, he like you need to cast a man that like would that would be that's physically larger than Uma yeah because she's so tall because otherwise yeah, he, she just like saying overpowers she's, like, men yeah yeah and that like no one like most most men can't really match her in a scene just mm-hmm. because of how physically imposing she is yeah which is like sort of a compliment but, but like, also kind, kind of, of not yeah 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 it was weird but anyway um. I have a note that says Ethan Hawke work on your sound mixing. I don't really know what was going on, but I assume <laughs> it like switched from, you know, one room to another mm-hmm. and the sound was crazy. Um, we have Steve Zahn and Robert John Leonard. They're like two young guys that are moving into the Chelsea Hotel from the Midwest somewhere. And uh, Robert Sean Leonard is a musician. Was Steve Zahn a musician also? Or they were They were doing music together. In the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, they're both musicians, but I think, like, Robert John Leonard seems a little more serious. Yeah. And Steve Zahn seemed a little off the walls. Yeah. He was, like, a party dude. Yeah. Um, Vincent D'Onofrio is an artist, and he pays for his apartment by painting. Uh-huh. And Rosario Dawson and Mark Weber play a young married couple, and they're both poets. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Christopherson, who I mentioned at the beginning, is a writer. And his wife is played by Tuesday Weld and his mistress is played by Natasha Richardson. Right. And it seems like I'm just listing a lot of characters here, but that's kind of what the movie is doing. Yeah. I feel like it feels kind of like a list of, you know, personalities that are existing in the Chelsea Hotel. Yes, yes. And he kind of he kind of says that like he says uh, Ethan during the commentary Ethan Hawk during the commentary Ethan I'm not uh, yeah I'm not, I'm not there no I'm not there <laughs> Mr Hawk e- Mr Hawk during the commentary I'm the New York Times <laughs> um, Mr Hawk I was thinking about that um, I was thinking about this with uh, with um, Jonathan Van Ness uh-huh. who identifies as non-binary uh-huh. you know the because the New York Times like the you know they're one of the few at least american papers i think it, it's maybe more common like in, in like england or something in the uk uh-huh. but the new york times is one of the few papers that does like honorifics mm-hmm. so they they refer to to uh to them as mr van ness mm-hmm. um, i think you should use mx i think if it's if you're talking about a non-binary person oh uh, yeah i i don't really know but like but yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting because I was like, because they did this whole interview, and like that was it was like a big it was a big thing, and it was just I don't know it was like, like I think they referred, like they referred as Mister Van Ness, like in that interview with Jonathan Van Ness. So like, and I just thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's like, 
because like you know it's it's their it's it's how they do things whether or not they need to uh-huh. i don't i don't think they do but it's just because they're like old school the new york times like they're you know but it's just interesting when the sort of cultural conversation shifts and you have to like i don't know it's just interesting mm-hmm. so mr hawk um You were saying he said something in the commentary. Yeah, but where were we just talking about? Um, the list. I was talking about how it was like a list of characters. Right, yeah. He was talking about how uh, the characters... Uh, they're like this... He was saying that like they're kind of like the archetype. Like you have the writer, you have the musician, all that stuff. And I think he was trying to say that like they went beyond that. But he kind of admitted that they that's kind of what they were, like that they were just kind of these. Yeah, I mean, it did feel pretty superficial because I don't think that there are so many characters that you don't have enough time to yeah. really connect to any of them. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, people in this movie, the late great Isaac Hayes mm-hmm. has a brief scene. Just He's just standing in the elevator. Yeah riding up with some dude and the dude's like kind of ranting at him and that he's trying to like kind of just you know as one does when someone's ranting at you in an elevator just trying to like just be cool you know um and that's like it's just like a brief cameo and he said that ethan Hawke said in the uh the director commentary that isaac hayes had like a larger role mm-hmm. he was like a doorman and he had like some speaking scenes and stuff like that but that the movie with all the stuff that they shot was like three hours so they had to cut some stuff yeah and so isaac hayes didn't make the cut but it was like i was so i was like oh my god that's isaac hayes which is like not really that surprising like he was in south park like Uh he was an actor for a long time you know after making music and all that stuff so it's like when you think about the fact that like oh he was in south park for like you know however many years you know, it's not really surprising that he would just pop up in a random movie. But yeah. I was always, you know, it's just ple- it's pleasantly surprising for me to see him in something. I was like, oh, there he is, just chilling, chilling out in an elevator. Yeah, it's fun to see anyone you like appear in the Ethan Hawke cinematic universe. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Especially someone who's not like conventionally known as an actor. Yeah, and this really was like the the Avengers Endgame of the Ethan Hawke cinematic universe. <laughs> <laughs> because all the people we listed, plus we didn't mention Frank Whaley right it's also in this movie right. who kind of reprises slightly yeah it feels a version of his character from the jimmy show yeah so he's at this open mic situation yeah and he's doing at first i was like oh god he's doing stand-up comedy again but it was more like a spoken word kind of thing yeah yeah <laughs> um and he's setting up uh little jimmy what was his name again? Scott. Scott. Little, little Jimmy Scott, yeah, who performs after him. And he does this amazing version. Oh, Jealous Guy. Yeah, he yeah. does this, like, beautiful version of Jealous Guy. It was really good. Yeah. I, I was like, that That was like, I saw that. And apparently that happened sort of uh, halfway through the movie. And Ethan Hawke said that he set that up so that he wanted it to yeah. feel like it was, like, a sort of break in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a good idea. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
he described it as like a like how you would set up a musical apparently um but yeah and so he was doing that that number i was like wow it's so good and did, did you catch the part where he was explaining how they got that song uh no i didn't okay well apparently what it was was that he i didn't realize that that you needed i thought that they they could just sing it because it wasn't the john lennon version mm. but you still it still would have been too the amount of money that it would have cost to license that song even for a cover was like more than the amount that they had for the budget mm-hmm. of the entire movie um and apparently like yoko ono was a fan of little jimmy Mm. and she was like oh yeah you can we'll let you use it for just like the legal fees mm-hmm. and then like the royalties don't worry about it or whatever so yeah so they should just base she should more or less just let them use it that's great she was a fan of fan of the the singer and he did a great job it was pretty amazing and apparently that the little jimmy scott he has like a uh, i don't know if you looked him up but he has a um uh he has like a rare condition um called Kalman syndrome yes which made him uh shorter he was four foot 11 until the age of 37 and when he grew eight inches wow which i mean it still would have been very short I mean, eight inches is a lot, though. It's a lot to grow all at one time when you're in your 30s. Yeah, yeah. It it sounds painful, honestly. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But um, he had a... The syndrome prevented him from reaching classic puberty and left him with a high voice. And so that's why he has that kind of unusual singing voice. Mm-hmm. But it's very... It's very yeah, I mean, it's beautiful. It's very beautiful, yeah. And apparently he had like a... Sort of... He had a kind of resurgence in the 90s hmm. after his f- career faded in the 60s. So he'd been around for a long time. Um, apparently he had this album called... He had covered Jealous Guy before, it looks like. Yeah, he, he released an album in two... I'm not sure when the, this year came out. Holding back the years. Yeah, I don't know if the cover came from the movie or if he did the cover in the movie because he had already... It looks like Holding Back the Years came out in 1998. Okay. Uh, it says that he also performed at the inaugurations of President Eisenhower in 1953. Wow. And Clinton in 1993. Wow. That's wild. Um. And he sang the song, Why Was I Born, at both the events. Um, and, yeah, isn't that amazing? 1953, 1993. Yeah, that's incredible. That's so crazy. And he died in 2014 at the age of 88. Wow. Yeah, he was active from 1945 to 2014. It's amazing. Yeah. What a, what a, so yeah, and he appears in this movie and he sort of has a brief sort of role. He sings a song and he talks to uh, a guy that 
is oh also an actor from scandal guillermo diaz the guy that he's talking to yeah he talks to him about like billy holiday he, i think he's the guy's trying to do something um he's trying to uh bet on ho- horses yeah jimmy scott's trying to send him out to bet on horses for him yeah i think because he's like too old to go out and do it right. and then he's like we have to listen to billy holiday so that you know which horse to bet yeah, on. yeah 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 and he's talking a little bit about jazz and stuff like that and billy holiday yeah Mm-hmm. so that was interesting yeah yeah i really th- i really liked that jealous guy scene i think that was my yeah, favorite part yeah that was cool um and i think after that you have the kid who's building the can of yeah the can of beer uh, the beer can your, wall your uh diet coke tower from yeah. high school from uh, college yeah when i first went off to college my parents sent me with like so much diet coke because i have a problem and um i built it up into like a great big pyramid in my in my apartment it's very cool yeah it was fun and then i just drank it until it was down uh, (laughs) until it was all gone yeah um but yeah so this kid must be like you know like 13 or something yeah yeah and he's uh they give him a beer to drink and he's right. like building a, a wall made out of beer cans. And then he talks about how he wants to be a private detective and his, his slogan is like, it's, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. He says like for the wall, man, I'll find you. <laughs> yeah. And they're saying that that's a superhero or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you, ca- uh, Ethan, i talked a little bit about, um, this scene. Well, he talked about the entire movie in the commentary. <laughs> but he says that the beers were something called like Brewheiser or something. It was like a it was like a knockoff. They like printed like knockoff oh, Budweiser's uh-huh. because they couldn't like yeah. use actual Budweiser's. That's called Greeking in the biz. Oh. Yeah, when you Greeking. make a kind of a you know, same but different a logo. Cool. It's for legal purposes. Yeah. I love vaguely racist terms for things (laughs) why is it called that uh that's a great question i think it might mm, i don't know i wonder if like maybe originally they just like took the word and made it in greek so that it wouldn't be the same oh Uh, maybe that doesn't sound as racist then yeah i don't know um yeah it's i mean on on the wikipedia page it says in visual media it's used um uh, to enhance the layout assessment by eliminating the distraction of readable text, you know, so oh. like when you see lorem ipsum on like a Tumblr right, template right. or whatever, yeah. you know, um, but uh, oh, okay, so Greeking and theater, television, and film production art department work refers to the process of changing or hiding corporate trademarks that have not been cleared legally for use in the production. Right. I guess it doesn't really say the origin of that, but yeah, yeah. So I think it. Oh, it, the I, name is a reference to the phrase "Greek to me." Right. Yeah. It seems to all stem from basically the same yeah. thing of using Greek as a basic thing that you wouldn't understand. Yeah, and also just a template for like the lorem ipsum thing. Uh-huh. Although I guess that's that's Latin. Latin. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, it makes sense. Hmm. That's cool. That's a fun fact. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Greek ink. Yeah, yeah I so can they, contribute. They greeked <laughs> it. They took it to the penthouse and they greeked it. 
You know that song? Huh? No. It's it's the uh, it's from the J Rock. Is it J? I don't know who it is. It's someone on the um, one of the Kendrick Lamar songs from uh, from uh, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> There's a thing that uh that that Demi Ajibe did, um, where he plays, he played that portion of the song on the piano, and he like starts crying during it. <laughs> like it's like the most beautiful thing he's ever heard. I took her to my penthouse and I freaked it. And there's like a part after that where like, he kind of like the person like sort of does like a falsetto rap. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the part where he starts. It's funny. It's funny. Cute. I love describing bits. Yep. Um, so, yeah, then we, there's a scene, we're back with Rosario Dawson and her husband. And there's a scene where she's, like, written a poem for him. And so she's reading it out loud and it cuts between shot a shot of her reading it with, like, a really close up. Yeah. On a black background. And then him reading it while he's in bed and then like flashes of their lives right. spliced in, in between. Um, that was pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah. It was intense. It's um, very blue. And very, very blue. Yeah. Back on the color thing. So all of the stuff with Rosario Dawson and Mark Webber is blue. Right. And then in the, in the room with um, Robert Sean Leonard and... Uh, Steve Zahn and that kid building the beer wall. That's all red. Right. And then everything with Uma is yellowish. Right. Uh, he said that he took the idea from Alfonso Cuaron from Great Expectations. Hmm. Um, that everything was green and he liked that. And so he decided to incorporate that in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also... Um, Oh, and there was one other thing that I wanted to to mention mm-hmm. uh, about the earlier scene where the kid, the thir- the young thirteen year old, whatever, however old he, old he is, yeah, boy is building the beer can. He was he Ethan Hawke was talking about how he was nervous about having the kid in the movie, um, because he said that it really destroys people. Is what he said about child acting. He had like some like he had some very like critical things to say about child acting he said it yeah that those that, that was the exact quote it really destroys people and he said like oh this this kid seems like he's gonna be okay like he seemed pretty well adjusted and all that stuff but he was pretty down on the idea yeah that it made him uncomfortable about having to use a, this kid in this movie maybe that's why maya didn't start acting until she was 18 maybe yeah probably yeah yeah, I mean, because he, I mean, he's fine, but he was only really in one movie when he was a kid. Right. But, you know, River Phoenix, who yeah. he was very close yeah. with, did not yeah. make it out. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote down Chet Baker reference, but I, I can't remember too. what it was. I think it was a throwaway line. Probably. Yeah, I don't think it was that. I don't think it was like they were talking about Chet Baker. I think it just kind of just came up very briefly mm-hmm. yeah um which is significant obviously because Ethan Hawke plays chet baker in, in born, to be, born blue. to be blue yeah then chris christopherson is drunk and goes to uma's apartment right i didn't imagine that is that him or is that someone else yeah he does oh it is him okay 
Yeah, but was she... And then she's like, it's the middle of the night. Was she at the hotel? Or was she not at the hotel? Yeah, she was. She was. So Sorry, not- her... Whatever, her room. No, I know. No, no, I'm confused because I think he... Because I think when Ethan Hawke was doing the commentary, he, he kept using the word apartment too. So I was wondering if... I mean, the, it's a place that where people were living, though. They were like that's living true. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. You know, it's not... Really, it's not like a hotel hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the way that we think of it now. Right, right. So. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think it all takes place there, so. Yeah. It must have been the hotel. Yeah. But, yeah, he, he does go to see her. And then also Vincent D'Onofrio goes to see her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's earlier. No, I think that's later, um. actually. Okay. I think that she she goes home. Uh, maybe he's at. Aren't they? T- I don't remember. I don't. Cause she's he says something like. No, I think what it is is that maybe she went to his. Room. No, that doesn't sound right either. No, Vincent D'Onofrio earlier in the movie is in Uma Thurman's apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I know. I just meant like and that. And she drops the glass and he cleans it up while she's sitting on the counter. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I, I just meant like she, he goes to see her again later on and they're talking in the stairwell. Mm. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. They're talking in the stairwell and I think that's after she goes to see Chris Christopherson's character. But I think he comes to her apartment too because there's like someone like knocking on her door and it's really late at night and she's like startled by it. Right. Because she there's a part where she's in the hallway when she's having the phone call with Ethan Hawke. Yeah. That's after this. Be, yeah, yeah. That's near the, closer to the end, I guess. Yeah, I don't remember the exact order that these things happen. But she does see both. Because Vincent D'Onofrio is kind of like, hey, like, you know. I like you or whatever. And she's like, yeah, it's been a long night. It's kind of her response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Chris Christopherson is kind of doing the similar, like, you know, you know, but she's like, ah, I gotta go to sleep. Cause he's drunk and he wants to stay awake to sweat it out. That's what he says, mm-hmm. which I don't know. I, I don't know if that that works. I don't know if staying awake is going to make things better than going to sleep. I think you want to stay awake long enough to like feel a little bit better before going to sleep. Mm -hmm. But I think his idea was to stay awake the whole night. I don't know. Seemed like an alcoholic. Yeah, probably. I mean, he was, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, his character was supposed to be an alcoholic. And he's a writer. Mm -hmm. And his publisher comes to see him. Or his whatever editor, whoever uh-huh. it is, comes yeah. to see him the next morning. And he's like, oh, well, at least you put page numbers on them. Which, I mean, true. Because, you know, Jack Kerouac wrote the whole thing on like a single like scroll of paper. Mm. He wrote the entire On the Road. Like the original On the Road is just like a long scroll of paper. Yeah, There's no page numbers. That dude's kooky. So saying at least you put page numbers on it is not a far-fetched thing to say. It's mm-hmm. actually like, hey, you know, you put page numbers. So 
Mm-hmm. And we also have a scene with Richard Linklater very briefly. Yeah, he's at he's the hanging car out with, outside um, the hotel. Oh, Kevin Corrigan. We didn't mention him either. Uh huh. Um, he's uh, I know him most from. I mean, he's been in so many things. He was in a, a really good um short film that was nominated for an Oscar many years ago now. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, most notably for me, he was in this show called Grounded for Life, mm-hmm. which ran on ABC Family for a long time, and I watched most of that show. Mm-hmm. So I always get excited when I see him, but he's in a bunch of stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's the guy on, on the crutches who's uh-huh. trying to tempt Mark Weber's character Val back into the drug life. Mm. Right. In this movie? Yeah. I guess. I don't remember. He co- Yeah. So, okay. So Mark Weber is Rosario Dawson's husband. Right. And um, this guy comes to their apartment and is like talking to him about getting back into, I don't know if it's drugs or some other criminal activity. Yeah. Um, but he does convince him to do it. And so there's this like scene where Mark Webber is going out to the car to meet up with him and some other uh, quote unquote cronies, uh-huh. um, which include Richard Linklater. Yeah. And uh, Ethan Hawke in the commentary mentions that the uh car that they're piling into is his car oh yeah which it looks very like the car that he drove in boyhood you mm-hmm. know yeah which is funny yeah well it would be around this time that that started oh. yeah excuse me yeah but i i don't know if it is the same car because i think that well it's been too long since i've seen that movie yeah i gotta watch it again well we will yeah, we'll get to it <laughs> next uh, fall. Yeah. And also, Ethan Hawke um, mentioned the fact that during this, his he wanted to switch out his uh, dialogue mm-hmm. for someone else doing it. But he decided, like, oh, well, that he already did it, so I might as well leave it in. Yeah. Because I think he was a little self-conscious about the whole director in the movie thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of doesn't. You know, obviously, like I said, it doesn't really... It's, yeah, non-narrative. non-narrative. Although really. there is a plot point in the sense that someone dies and you don't know who it is. Yeah. And it's never revealed because it's kind of not the point. That's not the point. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I was kind of thinking about how... I don't know. Are there any, are there any other plot points you wanted to... Not really. I think that was about it. Because... Um, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, yeah, that's it. Because I was thinking about, like, I was thinking about Richard Linklater during this movie. Because mm-hmm. there's a quote, there's a quote from Ethan Hawke in this interview he gave, the the podcast interview mm-hmm. with GQ. He talks about how he, he mentions the fact that, like, oh, there's so much bad art that's inspired by, like, Charles Bukowski and Richard Linklater like this is basically the idea that you know it's it seems easy enough to just like pick up a camera and follow normal people doing their own things or like you know write in this sort of stream of consciousness way like Charles Bukowski or whatever mm-hmm. but the point is that it's not easy to do yeah like and that's what makes them like the talented people they are is because they're taking this sort of simple concept 
but they're doing something really elevated with it. Mm-hmm. And to me, this kind of felt like the quote that he was talking about. Yeah. Like, this feels kind of inspired by Richard, Richard Linklater, but it misses the thing that makes a Richard Linklater movie good. And I was thinking about the fact that, like, okay, Richard Linklater movies are kind of like, okay, you can say that it's not really about the plot. Like, it's just about, like, this this thing. But, like, most of the movies that I've seen of his actually do have plots. Yeah. Like, Tape, for example, even though it only takes place in one location, it's actually pretty plotty. Like, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's, you know, a central conflict basically between um, uh, uh, Robert Sean Leonard and Ethan Hawke, and like what the past happened. And like, you know, there's not a whole lot of action. There's a little bit with like, you know, the tape recorder and trying to leave the hotel it's mostly told through dialogue but there is plot in that movie like there's plot in in um you know before sunrise like yeah he has to get somewhere well i think a more direct comparison to a richard linklater movie might make sense with dazed and confused where there are a lot of characters right right so in that movie what they do i think pretty well is they like give you a reason to be invested in like a, a few of the main character, you know, like right, the, some right. more major characters and then you have all the surrounding um, characters. Which are like texture. Yes, exactly. Right. And, but you do get to spend enough time with like Mitch, for instance. Right. And, you know, that he's going from middle school to high school and that's a big transition period. And this night is really important to him to become cool in high school. And right. also with... uh um uh jeremy london's character like he he has his personal arc with the um the slip that he won't sign like the uh they all have to sign like a a a a form saying that they won't do drugs and he's just morally opposed to it so his journey throughout the night is deciding Uh whether or not he's gonna sign sign this form yeah and um uh yeah, and so you get, you know, some, like, anchor characters who you can emotionally, get yeah. emotionally invested in. Yeah. Um, and the rest of the characters just fill out the the movie. Yeah, like, even a movie like Waking Life, where, like, you have these kind of so, po- sort of poetic soliloquies or yeah. whatever. Like, you are following Wiley Wiggins' character throughout. And there also is a story there where he's trying to wake up from this dream. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, even the most, even uh, uh, Richard Linklater at his most kind of abstract, there's usually at least some sort of plot element going on that's driving the mm-hmm. story. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, that, and it took me watching that this movie to realize that. I was like, oh, yeah, like Richard Linklater does have plots in all his movies. Like, <laughs> there is there is some action that's going on. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was thinking about ways that this could maybe be better yeah and um no go ahead i think that oh do i I can just move my mic further from my face no no no, it's okay um i think that yeah like you were saying how we know that someone was murdered but we don't know who or what like what happened there right like if that was well we know that someone died or someone died yeah yeah sorry 
Anyway, but if there was, if that was like somehow there was some kind of like death tied into each of the storylines, so that any one of oh, them could have been uh-huh. the death, sure, sure, or like yeah. something, some kind of suggestion that death could happen in any right, of the storyline. Right, right. So, like for example, with Robert Sean Leonard and Steve Zahn, you he opens up the drawer and you see a gun in there. Right. Yeah. 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 And, I wrote down the note, gun. Yeah, and so he says it was his brother's, but it kind of seems like sus like it like was his is his brother like a real was that real yeah was it really his gun why does he have it now and um you know that kind of gave the suggestion that it could tie back to this thing from the very beginning of the movie right and if that you know if something like if a suggestion of of death was in each of the storylines that could maybe tie it together a little better right um i don't know that was just what i was thinking Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, one thing I really liked about the commentary is that Ethan Hawke calls him Bob Leonard. Yeah, he kept saying Bob. I was like, who are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, he that loves Robert Bob. Robert Sean Leonard? Bob like, and oh, Rick. All right. His friend's Bob and Rick. Yeah. I, it, took me, it took me so long to figure out who he was talking about when he was saying Bob. I was like, what? <laughs> Who's Bob? And, and then he said Bob Leonard. I was like, oh, he's talking about Robert Sean Leonard. Yeah. Who's a full name guy to me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I I mean, I had a brief moment of calling Ethan Hawk Ethan, but mm-hmm. Robert Sean Leonard, no, not going to happen. Never, no, not no, a once. No, no Bobs for, not, no Bob Leonard's for me. But no, they're, they're friends, so that's cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then did we talk about how, like, each story is supposed to be, like, a different decade? Yes, yeah, we did mention okay. that. So, but, like, just going into that a little right. more. So, like, L- Little Jimmy Scott was supposed to be the 50s. Yeah. Chris Christopherson was the 60s. Uma and Vincent D'Onofrio were the 70s. Rosario Dawson and Mark Webber were the 80s. And Robert Sean Leonard and Steve Zahn were supposed to be the 90s. Right. Um... Yeah, still, even though he said that, it's still, like, unclear to me whether they really were living in those different decades or if they were all in the same one and they were just supposed to be representative of the lifestyles of those different decades or the kind of yeah, people that yeah. were would have been there. I yeah. don't know. It's not, yeah. It's, it's, it's unclear still. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous, which is cool, but... I would I just like I wouldn't have known that that's what he was trying to do yeah unless he said it and which so it is good that we watched that commentary because I would have missed that entire concept of this conceit of the movie um yeah I don't know I I, like I'm not opposed to the idea that it's like non-narrative it's just I just feel like it could have been done better yeah and I think, um, I don't know. I mean, also, we do need to, I think we should recognize that this budget is very, very low. Yeah. And he had, like, a cast of, like, 35 actors who are very <sighs> famous people. Right, right, uh, right. <laughs> So they probably were not getting paid very much. Yeah. So, you know, most, probably people, like, from his world that are, like, a lot of these people probably just, like, doing him a favor. Right, right, right. And he has to pay whatever scraps he has left to, like, Chris Christopherson or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, the other thing I thought was interesting. Okay, so this movie was uh, based on a play written by Nicole Burdett. Yeah, and he <laughs> says that he hadn't seen the play. Yeah, that, but also <laughs> that he... Um, it was written for naked angels was like the the theater 
where the play was put on and where uh-huh. she, uh, Nicole Burdett uh, worked. I think she was maybe the co-founder. Or she worked there. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, uh, they, it was funny the way he talked about it because he said they wouldn't let me be in any of their plays so I started my own theater company <laughs> and then they let me make a movie out of their show. That's funny. Yeah. 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 He does. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No. And I didn't know that about him also. Cause that's how they found the script for tape because that was a play that he uh, was thinking of putting on. That's cool. Yeah. 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 I liked tape. I thought that was a cool movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He also mentions how during shooting this movie, the the owners of the hotel had given him, you know, permission to shoot there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, he was basically like, stay out of like the way of like the operation of this building, basically, mm-hmm. or we'll kick you out. Like you can shoot here. Just like, don't get in the way. Yeah. And so there's one scene that they shoot in the lobby where uh, Robert Sean Leonard is on the. F- is it Robert Sean Leonard? I'm going to say it is. Robert Sean Leonard is on the phone. Bob <laughs> uh, is on the phone. Um, and I'm not entirely sure who he's talking to, but he's, he's basically talking about like how he's, how committed he is to his music and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they shot that in the lobby and Ethan Hawke said that they shot that. They tried to shoot it as early as possible um, so that, no one would so it wouldn't you know interfere with the hotel mm-hmm. and apparently still even though they were shooting like probably at whatever 4 a.m or whatever whenever they could uh someone was like at the trying to like use the phone <laughs> and they're like just one minute like let us shoot the scene like will it use the phone just mm-hmm. let us shoot the scene and then someone the i guess the owner of the hotel like walks through the back like you see him in the scene, he walks through the back of the, um, behind the phone booth. You see him through the glass. He walks mm-hmm. behind the phone booth, um, and he's like, "Yeah." He, like Ethan Hawke said, "Like, yeah." He just walks by, <laughs> um, because like you know, there, there's no extras in this movie. It's just whoever was there was there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of interesting that little note about making the movie that the sort of conditions that they had to work under but not getting in the way of the hotel and all that stuff mm-hmm. so that's interesting yeah um i pulled up a couple of reviews sure of this movie one thing that ethan hogg did continuously say throughout the commentary was that uh he was like, oh, you know, I just don't get why people think this movie was indulgent. And then he'd be like, well, actually, maybe this is why people thought it was indulgent. <laughs> and he'd just like keep, you know, obsessing over that word indulgent. Yeah, indulgent. He must have seen it a couple times. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but I actually found. So Robert, Roger Ebert's review. Yeah, I saw this is, on the Wikipedia. It's three stars. Yeah. That's a pretty, if, I mean, for an Ethan Hawke movie. Yeah. That's notoriously like high praise. Critical. Yeah. So I'm just going to, I mean, he just says so many nice things throughout the whole yeah. um, movie, but I really liked the last paragraph of his um, review where he says, 
Movies like this do not grab you by the throat. You have to be receptive. The first time I saw Chelsea Walls in a stuffy room late at night at Cannes 2001, I found it slow and pointless. This time, I saw it earlier in the day, fueled by coffee, and I understood that the movie is not about what the characters do, but about what they are. It may be a waste of time to spend your life drinking, fornicating, posing as a genius, and living off your friends, but if you've got the money, honey, take off the time. <laughs> so... That guy knew how to write. Yeah, he really did. But yeah, I mean, he just seems to really like, you know, the the kind of the thing that Ethan Hawke created, which is just kind of existing in this world with these people in this place. Yeah, yeah. And he was into that. Yeah. Um, we did, on the other hand, have a review from Variety that was <laughs> not so positive. Sure. It starts. The Chelsea Walls speak a great deal, but they don't have much to say. <laughs> a dull ensemble about contempo poet tasters uh, who can only hope that some of the talent of the famed Gotham Hotel's former occupants will rub off on them. Ethan Hawke's feature directorial debut sports a bunch of hip type actors carrying on in mostly two hander scenes to little effect. Without critical support, this Lionsgate release will have a very short theatrical stay. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then they also, the thing I was saying earlier about how it was transferred to film. Right. Um, they mentioned using digital video enabled Hawk to shoot with relative ease throughout the Chelsea, but visual results in the 35mm transfer are just okay, with images tending to look washed out and saturated with particular hues as in color photocopies variable musical accompaniment practically wallpaper is the picture yeah yeah so now, the yeah. visual aspect was really yeah it was rough and i mean i will say so um early digital filmmaking mm -hmm. they were recording to tape like cassette tape it wasn't they were recording audio to cassette no, the the video was recording to like a oh, cassette wow, tape. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so it was before cuz it was before we had like discs or like HD oh, or right, you right, know. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it was still recording to a tape. It was just so right. which is worse quality than film. Right, right. So when digital really transformed was when it could be saved to a drive. Right. Instead of recording to a tape. Right, cuz this right. is like a camcorder you know yeah that's what they're using yeah our camcorders yeah. and that's why it looks like this so just a few years later it would completely change and that's why right. you know like for example blaze or any movie we see now because most yeah. movies are shot on digital now right. like looks so good right compared to like this or tape right or you know any of those gregor rocky movies from the late 90s like anything shot on video Right, because it was like shooting at like the, because yeah, it kind of seems like they were shooting it on like barely above what you would use to like, like a home video. Yeah, like you'd buy at Radio Shack. Yeah. But now it's like the digital cameras they're working with are like, like the film cameras. Yeah. But like, with digital instead. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's just amazing how quickly like technology has changed. Yeah, and it's interesting how much of an effect it has on like 
I mean, I've said this before, but like just the, the effect that technology has on the kind of art that you see, mm-hmm. like you can't do the kinds of shots. Like there's some shots you could do now on digital that you couldn't do on film. Like there's yeah. some like hundred percent. It's just interesting to think about. And like the, the lack of technology in this, like drastically affects the watch, the viewing experience, you know, the, the, or the sort of early stage of technology has a big impact on just how, how it looks to us, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, one last review from Letterboxd. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Fran Hopfner, she just wrote, come on, and gave it one star. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that he was trying to do something different. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, and also listening, watching it with the commentary did help me to appreciate it more. Um, because he said, you know, this was his first movie and he said, I wanted to make a collage, which I think is what he did. Sure, yeah. Uh, and teach myself about film. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm sure he learned a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot from this experience. Yeah. Um, which he was able to apply to his later films. And I am really looking forward to seeing The Hottest State, which we're coming up on. Yeah. So do you have something to share with us? Sure, yeah. I've got a hawk fact. Ta-ka! So I looked up Chelsea Hawk just to see what would come up. Mm-hmm. Apparently it's, uh, uh, it's this according to Urban Dictionary is the girl version of a mohawk. Huh. Yeah. I don't think most people call it that. I feel like, you, no, you I feel see like mohawk is pretty mohawk, gender neutral. Say, yeah. But Chelsea and the, I, so I looked it up and I was like, oh, these are some cool photos. Um. So yeah, but that's not the hawk fact. Okay. <laughs> I dug deeper, um, and so I just looked up like Hawks, New York, because uh, I wanted to find a New York City kind of story about hawks. Mm-hmm. And red-tailed hawks are prevalent in New York as they are. Oh, did I mention that I saw uh hawks like flying above our apartment? Huh. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, there were two hawks. Maybe Flying. they were displaced by the fire. Uh, I think this was this was before oh. the fires. Yeah, this was kind of a while ago. I forgot to mention it. Um, it yeah, might have been before the fires. Bury the lead. Yeah, I know. I forgot this. Ha- I wanted to tell you about this, and I forgot about it. Um, but yeah, they were flying around, and they were fighting these two other birds. Or like, it was like a group of smaller birds, and they were kind of like duking it out. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone got like taloned the yeah no one got the no one got the claw but um but yeah they were just like circling in the air and kind of flying around each other it was really kind of kind of amazing to watch because it was like right above our apartment and they flew across the street to like the uh the post you know the electric posts and then the other birds i think kind of flew away Mm -hmm. so this story is also about urban hawks Mm -hmm. um there was this bird, a well-known bird in New York City, called Pale Male, so named because of his lightly colored plumage, um, and he lived on the, he lived for ten years, 
I think at least something oh eleven years on this uh on nine twenty seven Fifth Avenue at East seventy fourth Street. Well. Um that's where Pale Male lived for a long time and uh made a little like nest in the sort of you know, in the structure of the building, on the outside of the building, there's like a little place where a nest could be built. Mm-hmm. And another resident of that building mm-hmm. was Mary Tyler Moore. Wow. And she moved there in 1989. And she was a fan of Pale Male. Mm-hmm. But the uh, board of the... Uh, building was not such a fan (gasps) and they evicted pale male um and she was very kind of angry about that um and so she she kind of got involved and was like (laughs) you know bring back our bird you know he's he's our pal and he lives here and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um and so they rebuilt the the nest Mm-hmm. They they built I think they I guess they rebuilt the structure where a nest could be built. So they had removed some sort of place like some sort of netting mm-hmm. that ne- a nest could be set up on. But but pale male had I think already moved on basically mm-hmm. lived, went, went to live somewhere else. Um, yeah, but she was like, she was really like kind of involved in this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says the nest still hangs on the building. This was as of 2017. So not that long ago. Um, the nest still hangs on the building, still occupied by red-tailed hawks during nesting season. Some birders have speculated that its current male occupant is one of pale male's light-feathered offspring. Uh, if pale male is alive, he would be approaching his 26th birthday, near a record for a wild red-tailed hawk. Should he have, and this is interesting, this is a hawk fact I didn't know. Should he have met his demise, female hawks have been known to find new mates within a day. Hmm. So move on quickly. Wow. And then in 20, this just to give you an idea of how beloved this bird was. Uh-huh. In 2015, a blogger on uh, 10,000birds.com urged birders to, quote, acknowledge the inevitable. Pale male is dead. So. Wow. Which is like, but this was in 2015. So mm-hmm. people were like holding on to this idea that this like bird was like 30 years old or whatever, <laughs> almost 26 years old. Um, that had been living there since Mary Tyler Moore lived there. Uh-huh. In 19, she moved there in 1989. And Pale Male arrived in 1993 and lived there for 11 years. Kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the most famous... Hawks. Red-tailed hawks. Yeah, if not the most famous. So there you go. Very interesting. That's a very fun fact. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I think that... Uh, <laughs> do you have anything else you want to want to add or anything? Um, no. Well, I was looking up... Uh, I was looking into Indigent, which is the company. Oh, the studio, yeah. Yeah. And so they don't exist anymore. I think they shuttered their doors in 2006 okay um sometimes you gotta yeah it was interesting because it was just i mean the whole 
premise was that it, they were specifically giving people very little money to make digital films just right. for like the experiment of it basically right um but what happened was digital became big the like the way to do it right you know it wasn't niche anymore so if every production company is doing is shooting on digital and they have more money yeah like it's you know kind of the experiment kind of loses its yeah they one one director um maria magenti who directed um uh was it Pacini for beginners which was i i remember when that movie came out it was like a big deal and that was that was one of the indigent movies yeah that was an indigent movie but she said i will never make a movie like the a movie again like this that's nothing against indigent but i want a huge crew and big cameras and tons of money i want to be able to pay for my locations i want everyone to get a decent wage wow so it just wasn't like viable to continue making movies the indigent way but they did make one movie um one of their movies was called Pieces of April, and I have very vivid memory of seeing that in the theater. Uh-huh. Um, that was good. It was with um, Kenny Holmes, mm-hmm. and um, her mother was played by Patricia Clarkson, and she was nominated for an Oscar for that role. Uh huh. And that was in two thousand three, which is pretty a pretty major for some for a movie. In 2003, a movie shot on digital for no money right? to get seen enough that someone is nominated for an Oscar for a performance in it. That's pretty major. Yeah. yeah. I did really like that movie. And I thought I thought Katie Holmes and Patricia Clarkson in particular were amazing in it. Nice. <clears throat> um, yeah, it was really good. It was about she was like she's kind of edgy. She has red hair mm-hmm. in that movie, like red, like the color, not like orange red, you know, not like right, ginger. Right. But um she uh is having her parents and her sister over for thanksgiving at her apartment like in the city and uh-huh. her family's like from you know the suburbs or something and also her boyfriend is black and there's just like a lot of tension and um it's and uh there's this great scene where patricia clarkson tells this story about katie holmes as a character as a young girl and she's like I'll always remember that time that you were sitting by the window and you were looking out and something else. And she said something sweet and she was like, that wasn't me. That was my sister. And it's like so tense. It's uh-huh. very good. It's very good. Anyway. Um, so pieces of April would wreck if you're looking for another indigent film to watch. Mm-hmm. But yeah, RIP indigent. Indeed. Um, that's that's all I got. All right. Well. Well, I've been Harper. I've been you can Jonathan. find me on the internet or harping about on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Uh, and something I've been enjoying in media lately. I don't know if I've already said this, but if I have, I'm going to say it again. Uh, Great British Bake Off baking show. Nice. Um, because the season finale was last night mm-hmm. and it was tense and I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Well, I'm Jonathan. You can find me on Instagram at John Zavaleta. Um, I've been enjoying, there's been just so much new music lately. So much. That's so that true. It's been up my, uh, alley. 
up my alley. Uh, there we got the new Tame Impala. It might be time. Mm-hmm. Bop. If you were to, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, a new LaRue song. Been five years since the last time for any new music. Um, we've got new Miguel. Uh, we got some new Beck. Really digging that new Beck song, Uneventful Days. That's uneventful cool. days, uneventful nights. That's exactly how it goes. Got new some new Keen. Oh yeah. Um, Love it. Yeah, so it's just exciting. There's so much new music. Very excited about that. I haven't even listened. I haven't even had I haven't even gotten to the new Michael Kiwanuka album yet. Oh, I did. It was very good. Been caught up in all this other music. I haven't even been able to catch up with my boy. Mm-hmm. So yeah i'm not gonna have anything to talk about next week to talk about all the media i'm sure something else will happen in the next yeah yeah week well uh it's been real thanks guys and next week we'll be talking about alias oh yeah oh yeah we sure will we sure will be the future. In the future. The future. Okay, bye. Bye. This episode was produced by Harper Thompson and myself, Jonathan Zavaleta. It was edited by Harper Thompson and our intro music, Hawk Song, is written and recorded by Connor Vance.